0: welcome to the sales paradise podcast episode 26. on today's episode we are going to be talking to richard moore from the uk i'm sure there may be more than one richard moore from the uk but he's the only one you need to know Uh, but he actually trains sales teams Uh, but you know one of the things we're really going to dive into today is LinkedIn. We're going to talk about it in uh, detail. We're also going to get into a lot of uh, background story as far as how I got into sales and a lot of other great little nuggets. So stay tuned. Well, as I mentioned before, today we have Richard Moore from the UK. Welcome, Richard. Thanks so much, John, for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, we're looking forward to, um, to chatting with you and everything. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, currently I do kind of
1: two things, if you like, there's a lot of other things we always do, but uh, two main things. One is that I um, coach sales mostly to corporates, but also with startups as a, as a bit of a fun thing on the side. I also run an event series called Entrepreneur Business Live, uh, which happens all over the world. And it, it, against different themes in entrepreneurship, it gives people an opportunity to listen to speakers and network but simultaneously help uh, donate charity, money to charities as well. So a bit of the two uh, is where I spend my time.
0: Yeah, I love the um, the connection with the charities as well. But tell us, yeah. how did you get into sales? So, uh, well, the,
1: the story is back in 2002, uh, I was doing my master's. I was at university and I didn't get funding for my PhD because I was very romantic at the time, Chandler, <laughs> about being an academic. I wanted to wear you know, like those cardigans with the holes in them and like the elbow patches and write books and generally be really surly to everyone and spend a lot of time in the (laughs) library. That's what I was romantic about. Um, I didn't get funding for the PhD, so I thought I'll just postpone it. I need to get a job. And the first interview I had um, was for a phone-based cold calling job where I had to cold call CEOs in London. Um, And it was was literally, I, I was so pleased because... In in hindsight, because the job was selling an internet marketing uh, proposition in two thousand and two. Oh wow! And literally, when we joined, every two weeks they had a new influx of people because it was kind of a, uh, a kind of a hardcore sales thing. A lot of people were dropping away, and I remember there were seventeen of us uh, who joined in the cohort, and they literally just drew drew a kind of a imaginary line down the middle of the room and said. One half, you are selling adverts in print publications, in like oil and gas and energy and things like that. And the other half, you're selling our newer proposition, which is web marketing. Uh, So it was search engine optimizations and profiles on portals and things like that. And I happened to be in that side. They'd started in 1996. So they're like grandads of internet. And um, and that was my job. My day one was getting on the phone and, and reading a script down the phone, cold calling, and uh, that's how i learned sales the hard way it was kind of brutal and people were like dropping like flies around me but it was really good fun i learned i learned a lot about what not to do in sales but i learned a lot about how to be agile and, and be in the moment so i'm in the t- at the time it was hard but i'm thrilled that i had that experience and suddenly it's 17 years later and um uh, i'm here now
0: well you know what's funny a lot of times those type of jobs um can Pretty much make or break someone. Either they get out of sales because you know it's not an easy like. When you were even there, did you realize kind of how on the cusp of things you know for the future that you were going to be? I,
1: I I was not irritatingly not aware. <laughs> I, remember, like I'm almost forty. I'm thirty nine, right? So I grew up with the internet. So I was there as a, as a teenager when the internet was basically not even a thing so I really grew up with it and I wasn't grasping it enough but I was kind of getting it helps me this job and I think it's you're right and so many people just like I don't want to do this this is confirmed sales is a nasty place to be and that's what they didn't really like but but I learned quickly that we were onto something and also that I could really help people in a very new age but the, the difficulty back then compared with now is that I regularly had to sell people on the internet before i could sell them on the product that was hard
0: interesting yeah They're
1: like really come on and this is a time when people would happily spend eight thousand dollars on a on an advert in a magazine with no analytics just like we think the distributors distribution twenty thousand, 000 as opposed to this website where we can say here's how many people have looked and look you're getting emails from people wanting to buy a product and like nah, no, i give you maybe 500 quid from it it was seen as a punt back then and so learning a real craft of, of persuasion um was uh I, I really went full tilt on it and I, as a student i i spent my commission on things like books and, and you know seminars and things like that we really went the extra mile i'm really glad i did and as a result i kind of really fell in love with the, the right way of doing sales because it was quite hardcore otherwise and um you know, being a pest is a horrible way to live your life if you, if you do it the wrong way.
0: Now, where did you guys get your leads?
1: So, we found our own leads. It was no, there were no like... Oh, each no, salesperson
0: did. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, it wasn't Glen, Gary, Glenn Ross. There were no uh, the good leads <laughs> given to you. Uh, it, was, it was like, use Google. And, and I, because um, they were, were bringing so many people in because of their growth, I was perched on the edge of my manager's desk. So, when he went for lunch, I could go on his computer so the big monitors back then as well oh yeah not, not flat screens yet and i you know it was all paper and pen like, i feel like an old guy seriously we used fax machines back then or, or rather the prospects did but yeah it was a lot of using my own leads uh finding my own leads uh through google and um a lot of late nights my memory uh of london being there in the first few months was 11 o'clock at night with a huge fat um, directory of shipbuilding businesses because I worked in shipbuilding websites to start with and like working through the A to Z of winch manufacturers in the Netherlands and writing them up for the next day, sitting in bed, writing this stuff up because, you know, you just had to have a volume of leads. So we found our own leads, but we learned this really wonderful way of, of getting people to buy into what we had and, and uh, yeah, it was a good product as well, so that helped
0: what so um obviously linkedin was not really uh, an option we back joined, then. Uh, we joined
1: it but we didn't know what we were doing we're like okay linkedin then you know i remember when facebook came it was 2004 i think facebook or something like that it was a bit later but we were like okay there's this thing called facebook and it was nice to reconnect and with linkedin like, okay let's join it i was a sales director in like 2011 though at a headhunting business so we aggressively used linkedin back then uh to like get new profiles and things like you know people we could we could sell to but otherwise yeah it was not really it's certainly not what it is today is it it was, it was uh very much in its uh early nebulous stage back then
0: yeah i remember back back then it was almost like even one thing everyone didn't have a profile but even people that had a profile it was almost like just putting your business card in a jar i mean yeah. no one like, even if you try to get in touch with someone, no one really knew. I mean, it was... Yeah, it there was this... no
1: depth. You're right. There's no depth, but there's also no checking in on LinkedIn to see if there's anything happening. And I think a lot of that prevails today. You send someone a message on LinkedIn, you're not necessarily going to get them get back to you because I think the stats are along the lines of half of the 650 million or so users are actually checking in once a month. So a lot of people don't even bother with it because it's not a thing. They use that much. It's like you say. It's a place to keep business cards, which is essentially all the connections you have. But it's not like a, you know, it's not something that's used on a daily basis by most. I think.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's starting to spread as far as, especially in the in the US, and I think even mm-hmm. um, Australia is picking up quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but so I know that you you pretty much uh, as far as train sales reps and, and how to prospect and things. What What do you recommend typically, or what do you like to train them on?
1: So I'm, there's a lot, it's interesting because a lot of the corporates I work with, so there's one on Wednesday, for example, um, it's a lot of the classic techniques and they'll be going to a face-to-face meeting uh, or it might be phone-based or sometimes it's email. So I work with marketing teams as well and a lot of the, the um, you know, the, uh, the techniques are the same, but a lot of it will be, so when I'm face-to-face Richard with a senior partner at a major law firm and I need to sell him, what's the process? So we will have sessions on, you know how to frame how to do value propositioning and all those kind of classic things as well and there's always a need for that and no matter how advanced we get in sales no matter how much more touchy-feely we are through more content-based selling those principles still remain very very relevant uh, so there's a lot of that and then it's punctuated with sessions that are far more um uh, bespoke and a bit more update, uh, up to date, let's say as well. So there's a whole spectrum of, of training in there.
0: Okay. Well, what I, as far as like LinkedIn, um, uh, that's mm. something that I've been using quite a bit more lately. And I know yeah. that um, a lot of the sales reps I've worked with, they um, some of them are starting to use it quite a bit re- as far as learning. You know, they're they're reading yeah. people's content because mm. there's a lot more content out there, but still a lot of them have not seen it as much yet about a place that they can actually connect with people and then um, use that as a platform to expand on. Um, What are your thoughts on
1: that? It's a a lottery win Chandra. That's what my thoughts are. I think it's, it's absolute gold mine and this will not happen again for a very long time. Uh, I've likened it in a recent talk to a sleeping giant because what's happened very quietly over the last 10 or so years more than that is that very quietly the world's business population has been adding itself to linkedin and now you well you could before but now you have direct message you have voice memo you have content you have all these tools to engage with them as one might with someone on linkedin in a b2c environment but here you're doing it in the business ecosystem and it is simply insanity to not make use of it because you have a huge majority of, of people um paying attention everyone you ever will do a deal with is on linkedin and it makes sense to leverage the tools because it's a very warm approach uh compared with lifting phone There's no wrong with cold calling it can work but approaching someone through a comment on their content or through drawing in thousands of new second connections that you weren't connected to through a compelling bit of content, for instance, or just directly sending someone a meaningful message or or just doing some research ahead of a phone call even. It's so powerful because over time, people have been adding themselves to LinkedIn and over the more recent five to eight years, people have been really adding depth as well. So you can really research the target before you connect with them. You can see what their interests are, who they're connected with and things like that. And that you can see, even if, if they've done content, what kind of things they're into. And it gives you so much ammunition. Whereas in the past it was, I haven't a clue who I've got here. I've just got a phone number. And so it's serious evolution for salespeople. And you are definitely making life harder if you don't leverage the detail you've got in there ahead of going to reach out to someone you might sell to.
0: Yeah, like you mentioned also, even research. I mean, I'm thinking about a lot of reps are thinking, well, I don't don't want to reach out to someone um, through LinkedIn, which I I think, um, you know, in some industries that would be a mistake to overlook. But like you mentioned about research, there's no one that I, matter of fact, even if I'm wanting to buy a car, Mm. I'll still research someone on LinkedIn because I want to see, First of all, um, what type of content they have, where they went to school, yeah. and then yeah. um, and basically you develop some type of rapport. But like you mentioned, even potentially who they're connected with or who they've yeah. commented on, you know, I think
1: um, it's crazy not to. And and you know, it what is so much easier. And if I was going to reach out to you, and then I realize that you and I have a mutual connection in either one of our businesses or somewhere local, it would just it just makes life easier. It really does. And I think um, it's a tool and. For some prospects, there is a lot of information, for others there isn't, but it's to not spend the nine seconds you need to, to at least have a glance at the profile is kind of crazy when it's sitting right there for free. It makes a lot of sense.
0: What are some ways that you think that people um, misuse LinkedIn or either use it not in the way that you wouldn't recommend?
1: Yeah, I, I think the mistake is, and it, and it's intuitive or tempting because people need, especially in sales, they want they need to get volume often, um, is they recognize there are literally millions of people, you'll never reach everyone, and as a result, there is the um, uh, scattergun approach. And what it is, is like, and I've been there, I've seen it myself, where they do a search against loose terms. So in Tennessee, for instance uh the founder of a business, and that's good enough. And they get five hundred and eighty six uh, um, response uh, re- returns in in the in the search. and then it's the um, you know formulaic message. They stick in a spam and a note and fire out to everyone. And just starting with a sale as you or, or a, a, an attempt to get someone to buy into you from the first message is just crazy. And doing it at scale, because you can is being done a lot because if you can do it to hundreds of people every week or thousands of people every week, a couple of people will nibble and that's good enough for some. I've seen it before where, uh, where, where, you know, every, where team members will say, we'll send out 50 messages or 50 connection requests a day with a little message and it's generic copy and paste kind of thing. And a couple will get back and that's good enough for us. But actually it's not because what you're doing is you're turning off all of this group of people. And that's the thing that stands out the most. And I think people aren't focused enough on outcomes, Chandra. what happens is they're focusing on just trying to get something to come their way. Whereas in fact it's better to spend less time spamming everyone and more time with seven people that you warm up across a bit of time as one would in the offline world.
0: Yeah. Cause I think it's, um, it's very short-sighted as far as, like you said, yeah. even if the, the statistics, if they take a really small sampling size and say, well, I basically shotgun approached and like you said, had a few nibbles or whatever, yeah. but you, like you mentioned, you're turning off all of these other people. And so eventually you're going to ruin your own personal brand.
1: Yes. And this is the thing people overlook. They think if, I, if I'm going to spam a hundred people and I get three responses, well, I've got three positives. Yeah, but the rest aren't neutral potentially a lot of the rest are negative because they're now like they now won't respond favorably to your business if you approach them again because you're the company that spams them so you're actually doing you're being detrimental to a pool of other people as well it's not a good idea uh, so it makes a lot of sense to play a slightly longer game and and what I what I would always encourage is warm them up earn the right to pitch someone basically by saying something useful or intelligent and Again, it's easy, spend nine seconds on their profile, check out what they're into and send them a message about that. And if you're lucky enough that you uncover a prospect that uh, produces content, we'll make a comment on that, You know, be valuable to them and then they'll show an interest in you. It's just really rather simple.
0: Yeah, and it gives some people some, um, I guess some examples of, of that, just in case someone has any um, questions. I mean, think about like, um, it's even more of than saying okay well yeah uh, i'm from tennessee or i'm from the uk or something but yeah um, maybe if someone's from uh, australia or a particular Mm -hmm. town in australia and you read in the news that there's something going on or whatever um maybe that's an opportunity to send them something to like there's a flood you know yeah Say hey just was thinking about
1: that's precisely it and if you if you break this down what this really comes down to is when you're reaching out to someone cold You are you need to do the work to start the conversation because you're reaching out to them when this is the mistake, for instance, when people send a message, say, hi, and that's it. What you're really saying is, hey, I want to connect with you, but you do the work. You do the work in starting conversation. If you're reaching out to someone, you have to lead the conversation, which means stimulate a response. So if, I think people need to think a little bit more about mapping back from a response from the other side. What that really means is if they want to get a response from someone, ask a meaningful question, not how are you today or how's Australia? But you're right. Like, hi, I saw you in. I, I saw we've conne- i had sent one recently, for instance. I saw we have over 800 mutual connections. There's a start. and yeah. <laughs> you know, We're both in this region as well or like you say, saying, like, and I saw that there was this thing happening in Australia, how are you doing? Or something like that. I find the easiest approach, um, certainly with people who have content already is say, Hey, John, or Hey, Jane, I love the content you did yesterday. That was really funny how you did that thing. Um, you know, and, uh, and then ask something about it and that's it. Don't pivot into the, into the, the clothes right away, warm them up a bit. And, we now have the secret weapon which launched in i think in february of voice memos voice memos are game changing and no one uses them that's what makes them game changing because instead of typing text if you put a little voice memo in now we can carry some emphasis some dynamics some emotion they can hear your voice it really connects with people and i tend to only use voice memos and in the main the response now even to cold people is Oh, as a voice memo, they will respond back with, wow, Richard, that's the first voice memo I ever received. It's so nice. I've never had one before. So by being so unique, you get so much more engagement. And I've now got clients that will reach cold uh, outreach will go through voice memo and LinkedIn messages rather than just by phone, and they're getting great returns as a result. So there's a lot of interesting things in all of that, but you're right. Bottom line is put a little bit of effort in and focus on them as has always been the way in sales, but you've got the tools to be able to do it effectively now and, and to be really specific about that person and their world, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I've um, often thought of it similar to um, dating as far as, you know, you wouldn't walk up to someone, like if you were, I don't know if they have the prom and things like that in the UK, yeah, but like a do, dance. Yeah. Um, if You wouldn't walk up to someone that you've never met before and just say, hey, will you go to the prom with me? I and mean, basically yeah. you want to get to know each other. and And, um, and exactly. so before, because I have people that, just keep pitching me you know without any and it's obvious that it's basically um the same pitch to a million people you know
1: and it's fine if you're going to pitch someone but you have to earn the right which is that person saying do you know what you're being really helpful and then you get you've earned the right to say well i know i can help so why don't we explore you're right it's, it's the same as it's the same as going up to someone in the bar saying you know do, do you want to go out with me or, or let's get married or tell me your life story it's like you've got to start with what's your name or you know are you having fun or can i buy you a drink or i saw you did that thing and that was cool start somewhere no no one's dance moves are that good that they get married on the first night
0: right yeah i mean uh, for sure not me <laughs> it's um, same, my, my dancing is as really it's <laughs> not you know, my it's,
1: winning move
0: <laughs> and like i actually connected to this one guy that um uh, I looked and we did basically uh, business wise it was strategic for me to connect with him but I couldn't find yeah. any connection you know I looked through and finally and fortunately I guess in his profile picture he was wearing this really wild looking jacket and I finally thought well you know I, I wrote him I said you know hey I actually have looked I don't see anything in common that we have but except I really think with a jacket like you're wearing I just knew I had to I had to be connected to someone that, that has a that's jacket it. like that. And he, he thought that was awesome, you know. Um, because
1: how unique is that? It's so much better. And, and the thing is, things like that, as you know, actually work better anyway, because it's not about the obvious sales line. Yeah. It's about something else. And it, that's the icebreaker. I totally agree. I actually had an experience like that using LinkedIn, and this would have been like eight or nine years ago <clears throat> when I was at this headhunting company. And I remember that I met, I met the managing director and the sales director. And the sales director was this real putball, like really horrible guy. And he was here to really test me, he could tell. And I remember he, there was this job that we were trying to win from them. And I remember the sales director saying, the problem I've got, Rich, is I need someone who understands detail. And most people don't get detail very well. That's important to me. And I said, well, I, I understand. And I know, for example, that like, detail is important. I can tell. and I can, And I know, for example, that you like cricket. It was like, how on earth do you know that? And I said, because <laughs> because your LinkedIn profile, you're wearing a, a 2020 cricket shirt. And in the background, I can see a little bit of Lord's cricket ground. And he was like, okay, that's good. And that was the point. It's like, I had nothing except that little thing. And he calmed down afterwards because specifics make someone feel, feel feel special. And specifics about a particular person really make them feel like they're paid attention. That's all there is to it, you know? And... um you'll always be to me, the guy with the cool accent, you know, and and so that's the kind of thing I would talk about or remember um, rather than, you know, hey, can we sell? Or we both have amazing tasting glasses Chandler. But other than that, I mean, you know, we might not know too much about each other. So being generic doesn't get the emotional response I just did with you laughing, you see. So it makes sense to use those little things. And the point we're all, we're both making is that that's glaringly obvious now. It's all there in front of us. And people still choose to just go, I'll just, I can't be bothered. I'll just spam a bunch more people and hopefully something come out of it. So you get out what you put in, I should think now.
0: Yeah. And I think that, like you were mentioning, even um, like you getting into the, the industry back right after um, university. Yeah. I think too, as a population, we're getting more and more used to just what this whole o- online interaction is. Um, yeah. That, that it's basically.
1: We're well, definitely evolving that. Yeah. Sales evolved. Um, in that people are more inclined to want to sell online because it feels like a softer approach, I think. But in addition to that, um, the problem we have is that because people through through online in general are more exposed to sales, through adverts and things like that, we're more exposed to sales approaches as well. Sales isn't staying still. What I really mean here is that, that people are being conditioned as to what an obvious sales approach looks like now. You know, the, a, good, a, good, a good analogy here is my daughters, who are four and seven, if they're watching telly and adverts come on, they are mesmerized, Chandler. They're like, <laughs> I want that, I want that, can I buy it? And I'm like, you're just falling for it. By the time you're my age, you, you know, you're 39, you're like, I've seen it all before, I know what they're trying to do and you're immune to it. Adverts just bounce off you. And it's the same here. And I think I say it's interesting because the online world has allowed people to get a sell because the, the approach has been softer and you can retarget and you can you can just generally win people over a little better. But at the same time, it's it's made buyers' uh, uh, ability to pick up on BS uh, are, are a, lot str- a lot more... Um, uh, they're just a little bit better at it because they've seen it all before. We've all seen the same kind of ads and the same kind of rhetoric being thrown at us uh, about why I should buy something. And so that conditioning means we do, if you're selling something, you do need to be more sensitive to what is going to really annoy people and turn them off. And that's why, for instance, cold calling is hard on a phone because people are conditioned to expect that a cold call will be a waste of time. So you have to be better now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go, let's go through some tactics then on, let's say LinkedIn. Let's say you're a, um, a sales rep that right now, the only connections you have on there are like people from your own company. Mm. Um, so what would be some tactics that this person could start doing?
1: So there's a few things. Some are short term, some are long, longer term. First off, I would, you would, it would make sense to start connecting with people who are in, this, in, in the kind of the target space, if you like. Doesn't it doesn't have to be someone you're going to sell to. It could be someone in the ecosystem because the thing is yeah. if you engage with someone if i engage with you if you did content for example then you china have a network and it might be that 17 people in your network see my comment as an example so i can access people who might be sales related um, targets uh, through people who are in the ecosystem in general so Building up the connection base is wise, but I need to send a signal to LinkedIn that I'm, I'm looking for certain types of people. Obviously, target people that you would want to sell to, but in addition, target those who operate around them as well. So I think there's a lot of value in, in searching for people who you might sell to or who might interface with them. And, you know, the messages, again, should, it should outwardly create a perception that you just want to connect and build your network. But you don't want to use these cliches that are now already cliches, like "Hey, I want to reach out to like-minded individuals and build my <laughs> network." Because what does that mean? It, and it's like, what are we doing here? we're doing here—we're just connecting for the sake of it. So don't appear like you're just trying to chase the connection. Instead, as we've already discussed, use a meaningful angle on it. So, hey, John, I saw that you do this thing. I love that. Ask a question, you know. And, and what I often do or suggest is. Rather than going straight for the jugular with a connection request, earn the connection request first. So I always check if there's any activity. If that person is comment, is, sorry, is producing any content, and now increasing number of people do, so comment on their content. Tag them in it, ask a meaningful question about the content, and they will respond back because they get a notification about it. If you do that a couple of times, you now have earned a bit of familiarity. And when you go ahead and send that connection request with an added note, hey, Tracy, we've been connecting a bit on your, on your content, but we're, you know, I thought we should make it official. Um, you always get accepted because that connection request is validated by the fact you've been focusing on them and their content to start with. So that, that connection game has been more effective that way. That's how you get people to always accept you. Now, if they don't produce content, it's a little harder to do a bit more research in 2019 going into 2020 everyone has something of an online footprint uh they just do and if you are doing your sales right you should be going for decision makers okay so if you go to ultimate decision makers they're the ones with a great there's a greater visibility of them and therefore they're more likely to be online so they may have written a paper or done a talk or been in the news or had a press release about them so you can google someone and that's your angle i remember uh, engaging with Pip Marlowe, she's the CEO of Microsoft Australia. It was a couple of years ago, just for a quote for the course I was building. And um, I did this, and on Twitter, she had a video of herself doing the ice bucket challenge. Do you remember that thing? Yeah. Where, you know, you're quite, so and so that was my in. Rather than pitching her like the whole world probably does all the time, I was like, "Hey Pip, I saw that you did the ice bucket challenge." She was like, "Oh, don't remind me." And we're off. You know, the yeah. ice is broken. And so it was very simple to then send her the connection request. Of course she accepted it as well. That's how you get really big people to be cool with you by being normal, like you would on the offline world. Right. And, and, and that so should be a tweetable cool.
0: right there as far as like by being normal, you know I mean? It's like the same as you would in the offline world.
1: Yeah. People get weird when they're online cause they try and corner cut. It's still people before it's job titles. It's people the same emotional requirements for you from you based on trust or fear or threat and so you therefore need to engage them in the right way but then longer term medium to longer term and I was getting a result really within a month or so it's content if you're using LinkedIn it's madness to not because it's the best organic traffic you'll get online well you don't even need to send it to a website you get human curiosity based on you saying interesting things about your world, then they will want to engage with you by checking out your profile. And now you can go to your profile at the end of each day and harvest all the people who've been looking at your profile. Because the truth is the majority of people who find you interesting, who might even buy from you, will not send you a message saying, Chandra, I think you're great, can we talk about your work? You get one every week or two, tops. We, to, you know when you're starting out, far better is to look at those who are checking you out because the lurkers are still showing a lot of intent. The people who are like, who's this guy?" they have a look because in business we want to have a bit more there's a bit more discretion. people aren't kind of writing comments and loving your posts. you know a business decision maker still today in the main, well, if they find the, your content interesting they will go and have a look at who you are on your profile, which is fine. Because unlike the likes of Facebook, you can go on the pro, your own profile. Who's looked at my profile today? And if you, look at, if you have like a premium account, you can swipe over to interesting people. So these are the top people in their businesses that have checked you out. There's your leads. Hey, John, thanks so much for uh, checking out the content. Um, it looks like you had a look at my profile. And if you must, you can write, is there anything I can help with? Or you can do the research. You know, I saw that you did the ice bucket challenge. How was that? Just don't be overly stalky, but the truth is they're on your forecourt when they're looking at
0: your profile. Well, to so expand the what, you're talking,
1: really
0: with what you're talking about, too, about the content, let's say um, it's someone that's not in, uh, you're not in their feed, mm-hmm. so, um, so, but someone that you want to get in touch with. The, the great thing about it is if you're putting out, and it doesn't have to be long content, but content that's relevant to whoever mm-hmm. your prospects are. Then when you do reach out to someone, like you say, with a creative, um, thoughtful type of approach, then when they go to your profile, they can see what you've written. So even if you weren't in their feed, it's still yeah. important. Like when they ch- do check out your profile, they see that there's substance there, that you're not just some exactly. um, empty business card. Exactly.
1: And, and the, the truth is in all sales, there has to be an element of trust. And that trust comes from familiarity and if, they, if you are giving more of yourself, and it doesn't have to be by video, it could be just by text, if you must, but if you're giving more of yourself, more depth, that enables the human, the other side of the table, to consume more of you, which allows for greater um, familiarity to be born. Out of that comes um, a greater receptivity, it's as simple as that. I'm more likely to come to you for a service than someone who does precisely the same thing that I don't know even if they're better because as we know people by people and that's the crucial part about content is you don't convert them all overnight but little by little you become more and more familiar and that's why producing over time builds this momentum and gets an audience coming back for more and it's a wonderful way of warming up people slowly to the point where people then self-select To decide to buy from you and come in your direction the 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 term I use Chandler is is um, is this idea of giving out a pure signal the crucial part about the content and the things you focus on is that it's to do with your ecosystem so if you and I inhabit sales we should be producing content about sales or at least about its periphery when I then post a, a video of a cat playing a guitar great, I've got a bunch of engagement, but it's completely irrelevant, it's the wrong people, it's not serving in any way, those that I might end up selling to. So I think, I think it's important to have that consideration about content being relevant to the space you're targeting.
0: Yeah, and so to add to that too, um, like you mentioned as far as it being relevant, um, I, I don't want people to look at say our profiles, I know we have what a lot of people would consider quite a bit of followers. Um, mm-hmm for everybody listening, don't be focused too much on the numbers, like you said, make it to where it's relevant, um, people. Now, I I would say that if you have under 500 um, connections, you know, try to, whether they're, you know, family, friends, people Mm -hmm. that you work with, um, do try to at least build a little bit of a base because when I get solicited to and someone has 100, you know, um, I guess connections, yeah. I do automatically. My mind thinks, okay, but they're really not active. They're, um, yeah. or maybe they're yeah, even a fake profile. You know, it's
1: yeah. You're right, and 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 it may be that you and because I feel the same. But it may be that you and I overthink it, but it but the truth point, is, yeah. humans pick up on that kind of thing. And and LinkedIn has got a neat feature where if you have more than 500 connections, it just says 500 plus. So if you have 501 or if you've maxed out at the 30,000, you look the same. Uh, so you're right. It's a really good consideration. It's, uh, it makes sense to add, a, it's, it's not all about numbers quite right, but it also makes sense to get that kind of number up if it's absolute tino, tiny because you, your reach won't be so prolific uh, with things like content if you've got a tiny number of connections.
0: Yeah, and, just, uh, and when you do get to a certain point, just like me, um, I remember – when I first started growing my LinkedIn, it was really interesting to me to see how that network worked as far as I would connect with someone that was also connected to people in other countries. And now yeah. I have a really nice global, um, you know, network, yeah. um, but it, it started, you know, from me having that LinkedIn profile, that was just basically people that I worked with, mm. but it just keeps expanding
1: yeah it's a nice way of doing and you find that you grow virus like in a positive way it's like i know this guy i know this guy and and, you know i saw you on this thing i saw you know i I saw you on chandler's podcast or whatever and this kind of thing all adds up more and more people come to you who are 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 relevant to other people in your ecosystem And, and without question if you look at the last 18 months or so a huge number of the people i interface with regularly have come from like other connections as well. And again, it's very similar to the offline world. So we need to kind of embrace that. But that requires a bit of time each day. And I think businesses struggle with what's prescribed if you want to do LinkedIn well, which is touching it each day, having a little bit of time set aside, because it doesn't appear transactional to be doing that. But in truth, if you can spend, if you can suggest half an hour each day that you ring fence for engagement with a community on linkedin that's the best use of your time that would trump content in my opinion
0: yeah and that's a good point too yeah even if you don't know what you would write about yourself just interacting with other people's content
1: and and one one way of putting it is um is that comments are a form of content so you can shut quite right you can shut in groups or in other people you know other people who are talking about sales show up on their threads and talk about, you know, answer questions and help out and things like that. And, you know, you're still active in the ecosystem and, and your content is actually you just giving your two cents. Uh, but just in other people's conversations, nothing wrong with that. You very rapidly become a known figure if you do that, you know. But again, little and often every day.
0: And I'm assuming you're talking about too, like commenting, um, not that it's, it's better than maybe nothing, but I'm assuming you're not talking about just saying great. Or a yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, what? Again, it's like it's crazy. You get out what you put in. If you want people to respond to you, so so I I judge a good quality post, for instance, by meaningful engagement, and I use that term all the time because meaningful engagement isn't nice post rich. It's a paragraph of thoughts and people spending three or four minutes on it. And so it's the same. It works both ways. If you want to get someone to engage with you so earn it if you write nice post mate and you're expecting some outcome of people running at you going hey i saw that you write for the comment thank you and i checked out your website (laughs) you're gonna be you know it's this it's not gonna happen because you have to earn it so put a bit more effort in and and a really good rule of thumb is you should tag the person in your comment so that they get a notification you've written about them you should write a meaningful comment to something that shows you've actually read the thing (laughs) revolutionary (laughs) idea of actually reading their content. And then thirdly is to either ask a question or write something that isn't necessarily challenging or provocative, but something that will encourage a response because rather than making a statement of that was good and maybe getting a thank you back, I want to have something that dives a bit deeper to encourage a, some kind of conversation and that is what that's the spark that's the first element of a conversation that after a thread of three or four comments might pivot into the dms the the direct messages and now we're one-on-one and we can go from there and that is absolutely the model i would be using uh, to warm up prospects
0: yeah i can't tell you how many ceos and um or c-suite people that i've connected to just because of that but you know and also to add one thing too we mentioned about um, let's say there's a a strong prospect that maybe has not put out a lot of content themselves. Maybe especially if they're a C-suite type of um, uh, connection or you know um, profiler. Um, but yeah. what you could do is actually go to their their company's website or their company's um, page, mm-hmm. and they probably have articles. And so maybe that's where you make some you know insightful yeah, comments you could totally
1: and You refer to that. And there's nothing wrong with sending them a note. if if they're completely inactive, because it goes to their email anyway. Hey, I saw that thing you wrote on your, I saw your blog article. I thought it was great. I just wanted to say congratulations on winning the award yesterday or something like that. If you want to work with someone, show you care. Simple as that. And for those that don't bother, it's wonderful because they don't get anywhere. So it's it's all the more for those who actually put the effort in. It's well worth it.
0: Well, anything else you'd like to to add regarding um, this, like for the rep that's trying to, uh,
1: yeah, I think if you're going to look at apportioning time in reverse order in terms of importance, and this is kind of my model, it's content first is the least amount of time you put in in terms of building content. Second is connections, so adding new connections and time spent with them. Um, and, but thirdly, the most important thing is community. So what that really means is spending time away from your own content with other people especially those who have large active networks, because t- we talked about targeting prospects today, but there's value in also targeting people who aren't going to buy your stuff, but who are big distributors of, of content. So if I'm connected, for instance, one of the top people on LinkedIn is Bridget Hyacinth. She has 2 million followers and you can't message her on LinkedIn because she's never going to get it because there's an inbox in- with thousands of messages probably. She's the kind of person who is worth spending time with. And I would do it on Facebook because shes it's quieter there for her. And in the past, when it's come to, um, you know, if, if I've tagged her in a post, she's responded. And that's how you get 300,000 views of a piece of content because she obviously has got this clout, algorithmically speaking. So I wouldn't spam people I don't know. I earned the right with Bridget. And then so so she and I would text message each other whatever and when i say hey i'm going to put out a post and it's kind of relevant because i bought your book and i love it and i think that it's relevant in this way um and she responds to it that community work that stuff that no one sees because it's all in the direct messages it's in the whatsapps it's all that kind of thing seems like i'm acting like a teenager but actually there's a lot of practicality in it because it's keeping warm those influencer connections, and they're not like Justin Timberlake and Kim Kardashian, <laughs> but they are influencers in the sense that they have, even not at 2 million level, it's like 20,000, 30,000 followers who are active. So when they show up for my content, there are 317 of their network who also see it, and 47 of them actually are relevant who might buy. And 16 go to my profile and five go to my website and two buy a course, for example. So it's, it's really practical to spend time with the wider community of people who would also help you distribute your content as well.
0: Now I love that. And I can't tell you like in the previous years, how much time like different times where I, I felt like, okay, I'm very laser focused and I was just working on my own thing. Like, you know, um, yeah. my content, but I failed to basically, um, do the human part of networking, mm. and and so I, I think, love that what you're saying. That's even, even just outside of maybe your own little niche. Totally, yeah, I Look, love that. It, it, and it, that
1: has to. It's difficult because that's where the time has to be spent. And the majority, the massive majority of people who produce content, especially businesses, they produce a post, which in in essence is here's a link to our blog blog article and no no caption. And they post it and then they go off and crack on with their day. And that's a huge error because their strategy is let's hope it goes viral. What you've got to do instead is get down from your throne and go and get the audience. You have to interface with them over on their pitch, over on their content, on their DMs. And, you know, it's a lot of time, but you get out a huge amount more because you end, you end up with inbounds then, which is the holy grail and inbound traffic in the form of people saying, hey, can you help me, could I work with you, is really worth it. So I was saying to someone earlier today, for example, in between sets at the gym today, this morning, I have a minute and a half wait that my personal trainer gives me in between sets. So when I put the weights down, I flip to uh, from my schedule at the gym, so I have literally all the exercise I have to do on Google Drive on my phone, I flip from that to LinkedIn, and I'm responding to messages. When I'm waiting for the kettle to boil <laughs> for my coffee, I'm doing the same because it's those little moments, sending, like if I'm walking back from the school after dropping off my children, I can voice memo seven people. And just filling those little dead spaces with with the interfacing, not even on content, just in the, in the PMs or DMs, whatever you wanna call it, just saying, hey, how's the week going? with that upper level of people. And I have like 50 or 60 across a week that I'll just touch base with once or twice. It matters because then just like in the offline world, when you need them, so if you want them to show up for your content or recommend someone, well, they'll do it. If I want a friend to help me move house, they won't do it if I haven't bothered putting any work into our relationship. it's It's the same here, you know, and that's the same principle in place. It's taking cues from the offline world.
0: Yeah, I think there was even a Seinfeld episode to where it's almost like how good of a friend do you need to be to ask them to help you move? You know, and, Absolutely, and like yes, and exactly. where that was whole thing is like, well, we don't, we're not that good of friends, you know. <laughs> so know. That's a good point, I, though. Yeah, that's, yeah, you have to earn it. It's Simple as that. And the bigger the ask, the
1: more you have to earn it. It's simple. If you want someone to spend a lot of money with you, so put more time into it. And the problem is people are focusing on trying to this old school style of selling of of if I can just get in front of them. As doesn't matter if they're cold, I will then fight and battle and handle objections until the point where they relent and buy something far better to warm them up on their terms, and, you know, by showing an interest in them instead.
0: Yeah, I love that. Well, that was a great way to cap off the um, the LinkedIn portion. So what um, what we can do now is I've, I've got a few questions that are asked, but kind of call it like a lightning round. Sure. Um, and so uh, we'll go ahead and switch to that. Um, okay. But one would be, uh, something that you've purchased, whether it's um, a physical product or technology that's really made a difference uh, business-wise? My
1: smart watch has made a huge difference. And the Tell me about why, that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a, a, this. it's a Samsung watch attached to my Samsung phone. Um, it's a weird thing. It's allowed me to stay Very tightly connected to all the things going on that come through a phone Imagine every single application firing stuff at your phone, but weirdly it's allowed me to be at arm's length with the tech Because rather than constantly running over to my phone all the time I can just glance and see what stuff's coming on the radar This is the radar the stuff that's kind of in, in there and if something urgent happens then I can down tools, pick up the phone and handle the problem. Otherwise I can just carry on with the day. And it's allowed me to stay more connected and yet to uh be able to be more in the room and more present and less like responding to notification all the time. I also have a lot of other things on it so it, everything from a torch when I'm doing the rubbish uh, at the end of the <laughs> at the end of the at the end of the week uh, all the way through to um, you know, I can take calls on it as well so it, it's been game changing because it allows me to stay connected to everything going on without being that because go- if I was responding to every, every notification on my phone I would have my nose on that thing all the time so it's been uh, very good for the soul uh, but also allows me to stay just aware on a gentle level of what's going on so I, I fully endorse it, I feel bad because I've got a really nice um, uh, um, uh, Swiss watch that like I love to wear, but it's like, sorry, you only tell the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I you need, no. need more. So it's good because I don't want to be that person who is, is like switched off to the outside world because his phone's going off all the time. So it allows me to keep the phone in the pocket. And you, know, you can even pay for stuff with the watch It's wonderful.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I I I, um, I feel like such a nerd. I've got the. Um, it's Well, I I'm Team
1: Android, so uh, I, yeah. I'm a little bit surly about the iWatch. So we need <laughs> to
0: we need to have a, a video of us like uh, debating both of the <laughs> the worlds. But <laughs> I do agree. Got, but, it's, but it's funny that that you mentioned that because um, I felt like such a nerd by wanting it. But um, I got it. One thing to make me more efficient. But like you said, it uh, that's a good point. It actually makes it to where you feel. Like you're not always having to be connected to the phone. and It's less intrusive.
1: Yeah, and that's it. And it's culturally getting your phone up is not so cool. You don't want to be doing that at the table. You don't want to be doing that in front of your children. And the truth is, it's almost almost never the case that that notification is that crucial. You have to handle it right then and there. So actually having the watch allows me just to kind of... uh, When I get a moment, I can just literally rotate the bezel. I know your one doesn't do that, Chandler, but this one, you rotate the bezel. (laughs) Oh,
0: I see you're kind of throwing throwing a little jab there.
1: You know, I can send the messages over to the phone and just decide what things to deal with. So it's really wonderful to be able just to sift through and handle stuff quite quickly.
0: That's awesome. All right, well, what what about, let's say, a sales rep is uh, flying to... London or somewhere else in the UK for the first time, what would be a restaurant that they would just have to try out?
1: Um, one of my favorites, and it always charmed them, was Galvin Le Chapelle, uh, which is near Liverpool Street, right by the city. A little bit out towards Spitalfields, where it's kind of cool. Um, and Galvin Le is a Michelin star restaurant. And now kinda, like cheese board's epic. The sommelier really knows his stuff. So the, if you really want to impress someone, then I would do that. However, I would, I would add that if you want to close someone, doing it in a fancy restaurant is a nice way of charming someone, but the serious discussion should be had with no distractions. So I would always try and do that in a meeting room because you can emotionally get their undivided attention there.
0: What about then, like, let's say um, a coffee shop or a little uh, diner type of situation?
1: yeah there's actually one of my favorites uh is called the breakfast club i don't want to question your age but do you remember the film the breakfast club yeah okay so so it's an 80s themed locker room like so an 80s locker room imagine that kind of thing with the benches and that so it's a it's a a american 80s themed um restaurant basically but it's it's like it's you know burgers and chips kind of thing but what i love and i've (laughs) taken clients there before actually like just for fun is they have a fridge. This is a normal smeg fridge just in the corner. You think, okay, fine, that's just part of their, their kitchen or whatever. And on the back of some of the menus, it says in the corner, there's something about the fridge. And you have, to, if you find the manager and you know about it, because it's not advertised anywhere, you can ask him for a riddle. And if you answer the riddle, it's really hard, he takes you to the fridge and opens the door. Oh, and really? there's a neon sign at the back of the fridge that says, cheap thrills with an arrow. And you go in the fridge, and they take you down steps to a secret bar, like a speakeasy. Yeah, uh, and it's like everyone's like, "This is the greatest thing in the world." So it, it definitely is an icebreaker for clients when you take them there. So you. Should oh yeah, try that out
0: sounds there. really cool. That's almost worth um, flying up there just. I
1: would I would endorse it as worth a flight. Uh, it's amazing.
0: Well, what about um, let's say um, a book that you'd recommend people read? Yeah, I'm a massive
1: reader. Uh, this I've got a little bookshelf behind me, but actually I'm floor to ceiling all over the place. Um, without question, the book that's been had the most profound effect on me by a light year is actually Seneca's on the shortness of life. It's really short, it's like 60 pages. So this is a stoic philosopher. And if ever you want a bit of perspective, <laughs> it's a really good book. And I, I would say every month I dip in into it. And it would be maybe if I read a page or something like that, but that thing is a tatty old book because I've read it so much. And there's all of the sales books and the persuasion books and all that kind of thing. That's all well and good. But this one really gives you a sense of what time you have. And it's very touchy-feely to say it, I know. But that it's that good at creating perspective of you don't have much time. So what are you really doing with it? And it makes you really get get on with it. And um, uh, I, I value habit, something that has that effect on me. So On the Shortness of Life by Seneca.
0: Yeah, that sounds interesting because I mean, whether, whether or not someone interprets it as um, uh, basically getting on with it for you know, with business and their, their career or just mm-hmm. life in general, you know? No, it's just
1: valuing time. And it says, you know, people treat time like they're immortal and they treat money like it's, there's only a certain amount of it. And it's the absolute opposite. And, and you should be guarding your time wisely and making use of it wisely. Money you can always get. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, when you when you die, you don't get to keep your money. It's, it's like pointless then. So really making the use of uh, um, it just really gives it the right kind of gravity. It may, means you're like, wow, what am I really doing with my time? And as a result, you tend to find you, you audit yourself very well. You know, I, I started my business. This is my home office today. I mean, and I started the business on my own and in my house and, and you have to have self-discipline. So a book like that, I've had it for like seven or eight years and it's really, really made a difference.
0: Yeah, because you have, uh, was it two kids, did you say?
1: That's correct, yeah. yeah. That's a perfect example. Like, like, I don't want stuff that's going to, if I'm going to use time away from them, it better be worth it. And so it, it makes you question what you're really doing in the moment. And it's like, watching YouTube is fine if there's a scheduled reason to do it or if, it's, if there's something I need to know. But like, am I now going on to the next video? Now the next video, and I, am I being led by stuff affecting my uh, my mind? And if I am, do I want to do that or is that the best use of my time because I've only got so much of it?
0: Well, What about um, like a charity? Is there any charity that you uh, want yeah, to- Yeah, I, I
1: feel I'm increasingly qualified to answer this because we've done <laughs> over 20 events now around the world and so many, I mean, I, it's hard to pick one out, but- um, there are two if i may um one in the one in london we've worked with called drive forward foundation um works with what's called care leavers so when you get to 16 you exit care if you need it for instance if you um don't have parents then you're in the care system and it helps we've we've driven so much money into that well over i think it's over a thousand quid um and this is helping mentor people, connect with people. It might be even little things like buying them a suit for their first interview, things like that. These are young people that often get overlooked because they're not young children or adults. They're kind of in the middle and it helps them out a lot. But the other side is, is from our New York events. We've done three this year and they work with a, with a charity called pencils of promise. Um, and I remember after the first one, um, one of the the partner the directors there who who kindly came along to them, he said, the money raised tonight at your event uh has paid or will pay for um a water filter so you have clean water for a school of 150 um in ghana for a year and i was like that just really nailed why the events were worth doing because to have that effect i know there's lots of schools and i know they've built over 500 but to be able to have that effect for a year with a small donation really made the difference and those two that, that, that I mean they're all the amazing charities but those two really like have affected me profoundly so I'm, I'm excited that we're working with them both again next year
0: oh that's awesome yeah well so what um uh, I guess to close out then um uh, which you can also let people know how to get in touch with you but what would be I guess the areas that you would want someone to reach out to you for so what you would help them with
1: yeah, so um I do it's interesting, I do a lot of um help at the moment with LinkedIn um because I'm very good at um creating not just your persona but also getting people to come inbound to you as well. And working with those who want to commercialise an idea. So maybe it's a side business or in fact a startup. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. So I'm uh, you know it's LinkedIn.com slash in slash Richard James Moore is my, my URL, or just the RichardMore.com is the website you can find me there as well. Um, just don't spam me with some uh, some uh, sales uh, pitch, right? And we can take it from there.
0: That's fine. All right, sounds great. Well, that was great having Richard on the show. Um, so go ahead and uh, for some of the LinkedIn, uh, you know, tips and and just some of the knowledge, uh, make sure that you're implementing that. Uh, and one of the things too, going forward, we're going to have a lot more tools, not just on the podcast, but. On salesparadise.com, we're going to have a lot more tools and resources, and also we're going to have uh, different—I uh, don't know if it'll be blogs or even the transcripts—but we'll break down a lot of these long-form interviews to just some key points. So, um, you know, over the next few months, um, just keep in, in touch as far as you know. Look on uh, the website and then, and kind of let us know if you've got any uh, requests or you know whether they're guest requests or even just some resources that you would like for us to include. Well, that's about it for this episode, so, you know, just basically stay tuned and stay happy, and this is Chandler signing out.